Welcome to the Wizards of Dapps podcast, where we interview the creators of various decentralized applications in the Web3 ecosystem. We learn about how they are built and the insights that come from shipping. And we're your co-hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Bethany. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're sitting down with Hugh from Nexus Mutual. Welcome to Wizard of Dapps. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's always really good to like connect with another Aussie, you know, especially abroad. I mean, you're in, your, you're in the UK, right? You're based there. Yeah, that's right. I think every Aussie has this thing about getting outside and exploring the world a bit more. <laughs> We're a long way from it anywhere, so um, a lot of us do it. Yeah, it's hilarious because I always, it's everyone I know in Berlin or Europe who's an Aussie, they're like from Perth. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you know, like, of course, of course you're from Perth. Do you want to get started by telling us how you got into crypto? I guess I discovered Bitcoin on some random internet forum. Like maybe it was about 2011 or something. Uh, It was a while ago. I didn't really understand what it was all about, to be honest. But I thought it was pretty cool that you could send money to people anywhere. um, And there was like no bank or anything. And so I found it quite interesting. One of of the really cool things I, I did on reflection, didn't really know at the time, was I actually bought a couple of Bitcoin using a premium text message service, yes. which, uh, which is kind of strange. <laughs> I found it really interesting, didn't know about the tech really or how it kind of worked. And then I guess I, I, I put it down because I didn't really kind of know what to do with it. I guess my, my personal background is in insurance, the, the payment side of stuff. It, it got, I guess it didn't personally interest me that much. So then, yeah, I put it down and then I guess a few years later and heard about it again when Ethereum kind of came along. and. And once kind of you had smart contracts and you could write an if-then statement or a conditional payment, I was like, oh, hold on a minute, that's, that's all about insurance. So how can I put kind of my skills to the, bring those two things together and try and make it something work? Yeah. Would you like to tell us about what uh, Nexus Mutual is? Basically, Nexus Mutual kind of goes back to the kind of origins of insurance. <laughs> Mutuals are all about, like, they they kind of started like millennia ago, actually, of just a group of people coming together and sharing risk with each other to make themselves more resilient as a community. And so it's just about sharing funds and it makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of just people doing that on a community basis. And so Nexus came about because essentially we've got a new technology that can coordinate people on a financial basis. And that's kind of what mutuals are. And I guess one of the kind of key problems with mutuals is they often struggle to grow really big because they kind of get stuck in their little community and they struggle to trust a different community or you know, connect different communities up. But blockchain is really good at doing that. And, and so that's kind of um, what, we, what we've done and kind of connected it all, all together. So that's kind of the, the crux of the technology. And I guess also pretty early on, we kind of realized that if we've got this kind of quasi insurance or, you know, we're not actually insurance, but kind of an alternative to insurance, but if we've got that that structure, what kind of product can we offer? And that's when we very quickly kind of realized that we needed to offer a kind of crypto native product because we're not there on kind of mass adoption yet. So we wanted to offer something for the crypto community. That's why we kind of ended up with smart contract cover. So you can cover bugs or hacks in, in smart contract code. So something like the DAO hack or the parity multi-seq wallet issues or other things that have happened. So that, 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 anyway, that's kind of a really quick tour of what we're doing yeah almost like you know for the DAO structure you know it basically it's almost like it localizes insurance back into community itself with a background in yeah insurance as well like what were the main problems that you saw that you wanted to fix that 
Nexus could probably come into solve. The insurance industry is pretty inefficient. There's kind of there's kind of two there's two main main problems. One's one's the inefficiency. There's just a lot of paper. It makes sense from where they've come from, and and they are obviously trying to improve things, but it's slow and all the rest of it. So there's this massive inefficiency, and um, so things can be automated, but that's not necessarily a, a blockchain specific thing. Any tech could kind of do that. The real part where we wanted to add um, value and provide something different was essentially allowing the community to manage the pool of funds themselves because essentially what's happened is shareholder insurance companies own the money. As customers, you give them the money and then they look after it for a while and then they pay it back as claims after taking their fees. But essentially they're kind of looking after customers' money for a while and then charging the fee for doing it. And so there's all this kind of laws and regulations and rules and everything to make sure that they look after that money appropriately and can actually pay people. And that makes complete sense. But basically, what if we could do it a different way? What if we could put that money in a smart contract instead? Obviously, that has different risks, but you don't have that agency risk of trusting someone else to manage the funds on, on your behalf. And, and once you've done that, then all of a sudden you can hand all of the benefits back to the community, to the members of the mutual. So there's no shareholders, there's just members and the, the reduction in cost and also the the kind of conflicts of interest are reduced. So, you know, that's that's kind of what the whole principle behind it. You had this idea of like, hey, let's actually, you know, localize insurance, you know, on a DAO level and form around a community. What were the main challenges, right, of executing such a project, right? Because uh, regulation, you know, of course. Yeah, yeah. Actually, law and regulation is probably the hardest one, Yeah, to be honest. We didn't actually start coding anything until we... They were pretty had a pretty good idea on what we were doing on the on the regulatory side of things. So, I mean, just more specifically on that, we're not actually insurance. We're what's called a, a discretionary mutual. So, essentially, it's a group of people coming together and they decide amongst themselves what claims are valid. And there's a specific legal structure in the UK uh, and in Australia and a few other jurisdictions that that have this structure, and it's specifically not regulated. So, I guess we're a hybrid DAO because we actually have a linked legal UK entity and and the benefits of that are that we get some you know kind of clarity on the legal and regulatory side but we spent a lot of time trying to sort that out first before coding because I knew we'd be able to get the coding done and build it with a matter of time it was more if we couldn't get the regulation right then we'd be shut down before we got anywhere so that's kind of where we focused a lot of effort to start with. You mentioned some of the benefits of this UK mutual setup do you know what any of the drawbacks would be? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a drawback on the, I guess, centralization aspects of, of things. We have to have um, KYC on our DAO, um, so that's that's one of the drawbacks. I guess another one of the drawbacks is, depending on your point of view, is that we, because we have a legal company there, we have to have a board, and therefore there's a group of five individuals that have slightly more power than the other members. And we've put controls on that power so that it's nowhere near what a regular company board might be, but but still there are, is a difference there and things. So if we're talking about full permissionless, full kind of decentralization on all aspects, then you make some trade-offs from that point of view and the benefits you get, kind of legal clarity. And also, I guess, a big one in my opinion is limited liability on a per-member basis. So each, each member of the DAO or the mutual has a limited liability of one pound. So if, if the whole thing blows up, then they can only be, they're legally protected, which is a kind of a cool thing. I guess if you join a regular DAO that doesn't have a legal wrapper, then there is an 
perhaps a low likelihood, but there is a potential risk that you could be um, sued for kind of anything that the Dow does. Kind of going back to what you said before about making sure you had the regulatory stuff in place before actually starting to code. Did you ever consider maybe just launching something else and then later seeing if you needed to fit into a regulatory framework? For about five minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my personal problem is uh, I'm not personally decentralized. I live in the real world, yes. <laughs> as, as do most people. <laughs> so I knew we didn't have the capabilities of kind of doing a full on, you know, I guess dark mode project, if you want to call it like that, like, you know, release the code and walk away type stuff. That wasn't an option. Jail is a big crypto economic incentive in the real world. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, I love the principles as much as anyone else, but um, I personally don't want to, <laughs> don't want to go to jail. <laughs> so let's say I have a smart contract, right? You know, right now we'll say, you know, 400 ETH inside of it or 700, 750 ETH, let's say with the Medicare tilt down, right? And, you know, I want to join this DAO, you know, collective or mutual, right? And protect my uh, insurer against my contract, right? How, what is the process? What does that look like? Yeah, it's hopefully, hopefully we made it pretty simple. Um, you basically have to put in three inputs and you can get a quote. And so the kind of the three inputs are what smart contract address that you want covered and you kind of cover for the whole system. So, for example, if you wanted cover on Maker, then you would input one of the Maker addresses and you get covered against all of it. The second input is how much cover you want. So basically the 700 or 58th or whatever you said, and then how long you want the cover for. So say a year or whatever. And then that gives, gives you a result. And then if you're happy with that, then you basically go through a KYC process and pay the cover amount. And then it goes active. I guess at the other end, say there's an event, then what happens is you would manually go into the system and submit a claim. So basically one transaction. And after that, it essentially goes to um, a voting procedure, which the members vote. And there's a staking process in that. But then they, they decide on the claims and assuming they agree, then the claim just gets paid automatically to, to your wallet. So I think you're one of the earliest, if not the earliest, you know, a Bonnie Cove project, right? That is actually live, right? Um, you know, can you quickly explain to maybe your listeners or adapt developers what a Bonnie Cove and how it works? So Bonnie Cove is essentially a way of like continuously issuing tokens and also a way of um, people being able to kind of cash in their tokens for, for assets. And they're quite they're kind of infinitely flexible in that you can set the curve, which is kind of the determinant of what the price is at different points. So you can set that however you want. And I guess there's kind of a key reason we actually went with a bonding curve approach rather than just going, uh, here are a million tokens and that's all they're ever going to be or whatever. And, and the primary reason for that is like insurance-like entities need capital to back the covers that they've got. And it's all about capital efficiency. And so what you want to be able to do is you want to have enough capital to back the covers that you've got, but also be, have the ability to raise capital in the future when you grow. If we just had a fixed supply, then, then we'd end up with too much capital to begin with and not enough in the future. And so we needed some way of kind of gradually growing and things. And so the bonding curve essentially does that function for us. It allows us to dynamically um, raise and distribute capital effectively using market-based mechanisms. So the price goes up when we have excess capital encouraging people to cash out and take money out, and the price goes down when we don't have enough capital encouraging people to kind of refill it. So that's kind of the, the dynamic approach that, we've, that we're using. Right now, there's about, you know, uh, 7,000 ETH inside of it. Yep. 
uh, around that number, right? And, you know, so for a project that just like went live, right? Who would be using, you know, uh, Nexus Mutual? Because it's like parody multisig, you know, obviously it probably couldn't cover that, right? But who's kind of experimenting and playing around with it at the moment? I'm just curious. So essentially we, we wanted to start small and just have a, a project that like, proves the concept and all the rest of it, but it also has the ability to grow quite large. So and effectively what we've done is we've limited the amount of cover you can buy on any particular contract so that we make sure we have enough money to pay any claims. So you can only at the moment get a maximum cover of 700 Ether on a contract. So 10% of what we got basically. Anyway, so that, that's that's the general idea. So the people playing around with it right now, like people are buying cover on Maker, on Compound, on UO, DYDX, a whole bunch of different different things, mainly the DeFi stuff right now. But but also, and that's kind of individuals who are just using DeFi, I guess. There is another interesting group of kind of customers that are talking to us a lot, and they are kind of new projects that are kind of developing or just coming to market, and they want to kind of give users confidence in their own smart contracts. So what they plan to do is like buy cover on behalf of their early users so that if something does go wrong, they, there's kind of an extra layer of security because people want to wait until it's battle tested, but that obviously hurts adoption. So maybe this is a good, a good kind of way of bridging that. Yeah. And an audit costs quite a bit of money. Well, yeah, that's right. Effectively, we can in some ways crowdsource an audit in, because people kind of stake value on the smart contracts that they think are secure. So Okay, this, that's another angle of it. But yeah, it, we, we think it's a, hopefully it's another step. Ideally, what we would like is it's another step in the kind of best practice manual for smart contract security on a, from a project point of view. Do you think you, you want to scale up Nexus Mutual up as a big pool? Or did you have you thought about scaling, you know, Nexus Mutual out horizontally through individual pools, right? Because let's say, you know, a really risky smart contract joins and buys cover, right? I assume that, you know, if it hasn't been audited, you know, or there's, concerns around that project perhaps, right? Around engineering, right? I could imagine, you know, there being a lot more risk being introduced into that pool. And I wonder if there may be perhaps the place for different pools to almost accept each other's risk and to join the fund. There's two kind of competing things there. One, I guess on the riskier smart contracts, we deal with that virus staking mechanism. So essentially new smart contracts are uncoverable right. at our base pricing. They're only going to get coverable after kind of three to six months after they become more battle tested, but they can become coverable if anyone wants to stake on them, in which case it lowers the price. Gotcha. It relies on people putting money on the line for actually new contracts to be coverable. And that seems to be working quite well now. And so if there's a claim, then the stakers like lose some of the stake. That's kind of how we deal with the risky aspect of things. And I guess more generally on the different pools or one big pool, in general, insurance is all about capital efficiency and diversification. And so ideally you want to keep everything together because then you can cover more with a smaller amount of money. And, and that works, the economics just work a whole lot better. So essentially we want to try and keep the pool together as much as possible. But I can also imagine that maybe there's a different product that comes along and we build for an example, and then the members say, no, hold on a minute, we don't want to cover that with our current pool. So if you want to do it, then set up a new one. That's entirely possible. It's DAO, it's up to the members to decide what they want to do. Do you have any other insurance products planned other than just smart contracts? We're thinking about a lot of different ones. And 
we think there's a lot of opportunity left. It's what contract cover can we're just at the start. And so we'll just focus on that to begin with for a while. But a couple of the more interesting ones covering slashing risk on staking networks in various forms, and that might have to be a bit tailored. But generally, that's an interesting one from a Kubernetes risk point of view. I guess more generally, if we talk about like just regular products, then we won't want to get into things like earthquake or hurricane risk, where there are a whole bunch of people that can't get cover right now, and they might just want small covers. And it's just not economic for big insurance companies to kind of do that. Because our model's really quite efficient, then we can get to those, we can make it work from an economic point of view. I mean, we have to wait until crypto becomes, you know, builds out on ramp, uh, fiat on and off ramps and those types of things, and it all becomes a bit easier. But that's where we want to get to. We want to get to the kind of real stuff in the real world that can help real people, I guess. Let's say, you know, I have a small contract with like 100 ETH or something arbitrary number, right? And it, it gets hacked, right? I have cover on it, right? I have this hack contract, you know, maybe it's broken or frozen. What do I do? So I have insurance. How do I place a claim and how is that claim like attested, right? Or verified? So essentially, all you have to do is submit the claim by just going on our platform and just um, submitting the, doing one transaction and it essentially raises a, a claim submission. And then, then the process from there is that any other member of the mutual can get involved and vote to decide if they think that's a valid claim or not. And they, they have a staking process involved in that. After that happens, if there's a majority to approve it, then it gets paid out. And that's the kind of crux of this thing. It's, it's really at the discretion. And that's why it's called a discretionary mutual. It's at the discretion of the members which claims are being paid. And that can cut both ways. People think, oh, that means I'm not going to get paid. Right. Well, there are a couple of counter Then it loses value, so, right? Yeah. Like, so it then it loses the... It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work. And, right. and the people voting and staking, they have the native token and they need to do that. And so if they kind of attack their own system, their own system by denying leg- legitimate claims, then it doesn't really work. The token decreases in value, right? Yeah, exactly. But then also, like often with insurance policies, you feel like you get dotted on a technicality. But here, um, the members actually have the full discretion to do what they want. And if they feel it's in the spirit of the policy to pay, then they have the capability to do that. Interesting. Like it's a self-curated human judgment. Yeah. That is what it is, right? It's a, what uh, Rich McAteer from Humanity Dow calls like the information empire, right? Where it's like it provides a source of truth. Yeah. Just like how Humanity Dow provides a source of truth of humans. You know, you provide a source of truth on, say, a judgment whether a smart contract has been breached or not or hacked or compromised. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the other main point is, like, we're not actually doing anything new as such here. We're, we're implementing it using smart contracts on Ethereum. Right. But these things operate in the real world right now, and they work pretty well. And they tend to work well where the regular insurance industry isn't actually playing it's not providing cover or the cover's really expensive or they put all these exclusions on it so it makes it useless or whatever. There may be smaller markets, right, where it's inefficient to actually operate in. Yeah, exactly. And that's basically what crypto is right now. Crypto struggles to get basic banking services and, you know, insurance is even further behind. That's hopeful. That's, um, so it fits from a total, um, an overall perspective. So you have a program for assessors, right, people who validate the claims. Would you like to kind of explain that and how that works? So if you want to be a claims assessor, essentially you stake our native token. So the first step would be to purchase our native token with Ether and the Ether goes into the mutual pool. Yeah. And you get the native token NXM in return. And then what you can do is if there's a claim, then you can stake your NXM and vote and that's kind of your voting weight. 
and then each claim has a reward pool and that's kind of distributed amongst the, the stakers. So you get a reward if you vote with the consensus. If you don't vote um, with the consensus, then your stake gets locked for a longer period of time. One of the interesting points is it's very hard to distinguish between a kind of fraudulent vote or just a difference of opinion. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we don't actually want to default slash people for voting against the consensus. That's way too harsh. But the so the way we've solved that is actually, a, a, I guess, a bit more centralized because we knew we couldn't solve it on a decent, fully decentralized basis. The board basically has a, the power to slash the claims assessors' bonds if they deem there to be fraudulent behavior. And so that, that's not ideal from a de- decentralization point of view. The biggest control we have on that is any board member can be replaced at any point in time. Yeah. We thought that one in particular was a very hard research problem that we didn't necessarily have the capability to, to solve right now. We want to look at it in the future, but you know, we'd be good to prove the concept first more widely, get some traction, and then look to solve those types of hard problems. What would happen if there's a more legitimate, self-organizing, kind of non-official assessors group? Why don't they just hypothetically go and fork NXM? Right, because that's kind of like the main, the value of this of creating, I guess, mutual right is the judgment. I guess there's two things, or perhaps three things. The other, there's that, then there's the value of the asset pool. So they'd have to fork that as well. So they have to effectively get... Migrate all the funds. Current, yeah. yeah, migrate all the funds somehow or get them somewhere else. And then the third one is there's to the extent that you think that the legal framework we have has value, right. we'd have to replicate that fully as well. People are perfectly able to do that and, that, and that's cool. That's one of the best things about blockchain. If you don't like it, then go and build an alternative. I love it. That's fair. So it's up to us to prove that our one has value. And, and the, you know, the faster that we grow and the more we demonstrate that it works and pays genuine claims, then you know, we just reduce the need for people to want to fork it. I mean, you, right now you're really just like validating, right? The initial hypothesis, testing it out on a smaller scale, right? In five years, what do you see Nexus Mutual being? You know, where is it at, hopefully? What we really want to get to, like long term, is like to actually be a, a genuine competitor to the large insurance companies in the world, because we think we have like a community mutual efficient model that can actually compete with them. But that's a fair way away, and we need to scale first. I guess in five years, hopefully, we have achieved substantial scale within the crypto space and be writing a lot of um, cover there, and essentially have proven the model proven that the products work and um, proven the whole thing operates correctly. And then we'll be looking to kind of write more regular business because it doesn't actually make sense to write more regular insurance business until you've got scale and can actually compete with some of the other players. So that's where we hope to be in five years' time. So what's a really interesting aspect is that while people are kind of arguing about governance on Twitter, you have a fully functioning DAO that's live at Nexus Mutual. So do you want to kind of share your thoughts on governance and kind of how you arrived at designing the DAO the way you did? Like the balancing between the complexities and just like the simplicity of it, right? Right. There's all these awesome discussions and I follow, I've been following a lot of them. And my my view is... Shout out to James Hancock. (laughs) I don't know about all that stuff, but still, I think we just wanted to get something out there and get some actual experience because, you know, we can theoretically talk about these things for quite a while, but actual proof points are going to mean a whole lot more. I think from our point of view, we didn't want to reinvent massive new governance structures as well. We were doing enough new stuff. So we just kind of wanted to pick something that pragmatically seems reasonable 
test it out. If we run into problems, then change and adapt, essentially. I have a personal opinion that kind of fully decentralized kind of governance, like with kind of no real kind of leader at, at all, slows things down a lot and leads to things stagnating. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't actually fall into that trap. Our approach was to basically allow people to essentially follow the lead of experts within the system and make that quite easy. For example, you can delegate your vote to the board or anyone else if you like. And so you can essentially be passive because I believe most people want to be passive as well. They don't actually want to vote in governance. But then have the controls in place that if something does go wrong or they really want to have their voice heard, then they can. The principle being, yeah, no one wants to vote in governance or participate, but they want the option to if they feel they need to. And so that's the kind of model that we kind of aim for. And it was more pragmatic. It's also a bit different because our governance is all about a DAP and a specific community. It's not necessarily about core blockchain, which I think is a totally different question about how you govern those than actually ours as such. So that you have different considerations. Have you had any? like negative feedback based on the idea that you can kind of delegate your tokens to someone because then it becomes the power becomes more centralized when you do that but i agree that like i don't want to have to be active all the time i trust you you deal with it and then if i'm really passionate about something i have the option to do it what's the community feedback we haven't had negative feedback on that one i mean effectively people can do that anyway we just allowed it to happen within the system so to make it easy for people so I don't think that's a problem. The price will kind of really, the market really determine whether that's good or not, right? Well, yeah. And I'm sure like if me or some other members of the board start doing things that the, the group disagrees with, then yeah. we'll hear about it pretty quickly. People aren't shy about speaking up in, in this community, which is great. Definitely. I think that's pretty much it that uh, we wanted to go over today. Any other questions or ideas? Yeah. Did you want to discuss anything that we haven't touched on yet? Not particularly. I think, um, yeah, gave it a good overview. So, yeah, just really thanks for having us on and giving the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. Yeah, of course. Happy to have you. It was really interesting. And uh, where can uh, any listeners <laughs> reach you? The best place is our Discord. Um, so that's kind of where most of our community is. And, yeah, head to our website, get in our Discord, and I'm hopefully answering most of the questions in there as, as they come up. Awesome. Sounds good. Cheers. Cool. Thanks. This has been Wizard of Daps. We'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed what you listened to and are interested in supporting this podcast, then please follow us on Twitter at Wizard of Daps. The show notes will be on our website, and if you want to continue the conversation, join our Telegram group. All links will be in the episode description. Thanks for listening.